In 1996, Lisa and I met and fell in love. And in 1998, we went through a covenant ceremony together, a wedding ceremony. Now I look at that picture and I think, who are those little kids that they let get married? And who agreed to this? Who thought this was, this was okay that you could leave two people like that and let them go get married? But yes, we got married and in that covenant ceremony, the reason we went through a marriage ceremony is I told you in 1996 we met and fell in love. But love is sort of an intangible, invisible, indescribable sort of thing. And so what we have is something to make love more tangible. And that's what a wedding ceremony is. It's an opportunity to take something intangible, feelings, ideas, and make them tangible, a commitment. And so at that wedding ceremony, we made vows to one another. These were sort of generalized promises to cherish one another, to bless one another, to protect one another, to sacrifice for one another. And what those vows did in that ceremony is they took this nebulous feeling of love and made it real and concrete and tangible. We also, in that ceremony, exchanged wedding rings. I'm still wearing mine uh, 24 years later. And we did this as sort of visible symbols of our love for one another. That these wedding rings take something that is invisible, love, and make it visible. A visible reminder of being in a loving relationship with another person. We also didn't just get married. We've been spending the last 24 years working out how to experience the fullness of the blessings of marriage in our lives in very practical, tangible ways like about cooking and cleaning and buying presents for one another and encouraging one another and figuring out those words hurt, these words would be a blessing. Working through how to have dates together, how to be able to think about raising children together, about going on vacations together, very specific things so that this love is practical, so that we can experience as much as possible the fullness of the blessings of this relationship. Now I tell you this because this morning we want to talk about God's love for us, for you and for me. And one of the most common metaphors for God's love for people in the Bible is marriage. And so we're gonna use the illustration of marriage to talk about how it is that God's love is made tangible, visible and practical for us. God loves every person in this room, every person watching online, every person on the planet today. And he doesn't just love us in some sort of ooh kind of way, but in tangible, visible, practical ways. So if you have your Bible, would you be willing to please open up to the book of Genesis, chapter 17. Genesis 17, it's page 12 in the Bibles the church provides. So if you grab a Bible from the rack in front of you and you turn to page 12, you'll be in Genesis 17. 
Talking about God's love for humans is a massive topic because God is love. And so what we want to do this morning is we want to begin by talking about how God made his love for a particular person, Abraham, tangible, visible, and practical. And that will help us to understand how God today makes his love for us tangible, visible, and practical. So we're going to start with Abraham, and then we're going to work forward to today because the goal is not for us to understand better God's relationship with Abraham. The goal for today is for us to understand better God's love for you and God's love for me. So Abraham, uh, sorry, Genesis 17, verse three and four, verses three and four. Abraham, or Abram, fell face down, and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. This is my covenant with you. A covenant is like a marriage ceremony. It's when you make vows to another person. It's when you make promises to another person. And what God is saying to Abraham here in Genesis 17 is that I am making very specific vows to you. And he vows to bless him. He vows to make him the father of many nations. He vows to bless his biological descendants that come after him. He vows to give to Abraham and to Sarah a son named Isaac who will be born to them within a year's time from Genesis 17, and he also vows to Abraham that he will take his other son Ishmael and cause Ishmael to be the father of 12 different nations. All of that is contained in this chapter, and it is a covenant that God is making with Abraham. Now, I've compared it to a wedding ceremony, and you're like, well, where's the ceremony portion? That portion was in Genesis 15. God went through a covenant ceremony with Abraham, and in, I'm sorry, in Genesis 15, and in Genesis 17, God is going over the vows he is making to Abraham. So now to keep track of all the stuff we're talking about today, I got a little chart for us, just to help us track with where we're going. So when we think about God's love for Abraham and his descendants, he makes it tangible by saying vows, by making a commitment, a promise, and his promise to Abraham is this, I swear I will bless you. There are some specific ways he's going to do that, but the big overarching promise by which God's intangible love becomes tangible is God makes a vow, a covenant, a promise. And he promises to Abraham and his biological descendants, I will bless you. But God's love is not only needs to be tangible, it also becomes visible. Verse 11, Genesis 17. He says to Abraham, you are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. 
I told you on that March day in 1998, Lisa and I exchanged wedding rings. There's no power to this ring. This ring doesn't make me love Lisa. It doesn't keep me from sinning against Lisa. But it's supposed to be a visible reminder to me that I am in a relationship, a covenant relationship with a woman. That we've made vows to one another. Likewise, God gives to Abraham a visible sign of their covenant relationship and that visible sign that he gives to Abraham and his descendants is circumcision. That Abraham and all male biological descendants of Abraham were to be circumcised as a sign of the covenant. Circumcision is not the covenant. Circumcision didn't prevent Jewish people from sinning against God or from walking away from God or being unfaithful to God, but it was meant to be a sign of God's covenant love for Abraham and his people and a sign of Abraham and his people's love for God. Now, you and I today can think, circumcision seems like a weird sign for covenantal love, granted. But because God's promise to Abraham to bless him was so closely tied to procreation, I will make you the father of many peoples, and because God's blessing to Abraham went to his biological descendants, circumcision becomes an appropriate sign of the covenant God has. Even today, some people still get tattoos, physical impressions that remind them of a covenantal commitment or love they have for another person. And so God gives to Abraham and his biological descendants a visible sign so that God's invisible love can be made visible. God also gives to Abraham and his biological descendants, ways in which God's love is made practical. Look over at Genesis 18, verse 19. Genesis 18, verse 19. God says, for I have chosen him, I have chosen Abraham, so that he will direct his children and his household after him. And then see this phrase, to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Why? So that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. God has promised to bless Abraham, but in order for Abraham to experience the fullness of the blessings, God says, I've got to give him some instructions about how to live in such a way that he will experience the fullness of blessings. I told you that in my relationship with Lisa, we not only have generalized vows, we have very specific instructions about how one another, how we can love each other in such a way that the marriage is as much of a blessing as possible. Lisa has indicated to me that our marriage would be more of a blessing to her if both of us worked to keep the house clean according to her standard. And so we do that. I've made it clear to her 
that our marriage would be more of a blessing to me if we both worked at the purchase and preparation of food and that be a high priority in our family. By doing that, we're giving very specific ways in which we can demonstrate love to one another. Mondays are the days we change the sheets on the beds. Fridays are date days. We go out on dates on Fridays. These are practical ways to experience the fullness of blessing of being in a marriage relationship. It's possible to be married and not experience blessings. And the very practical ways that we communicate with one another of, this would be great, that not so great, that helps us demonstrate love for one another and experience the blessings that this was meant to be. This is what God is saying to Abraham. God's already vowed to bless Abraham. That's the promise. But God says, we've got to direct Abraham and his children in such a way that they know how to act. They know what will please God and they can be able to act in such a way that the fullness of the blessings come to them. And so later on, for Abraham's biological descendants, God codifies those instructions in the Ten Commandments and in what we know of as the Mosaic Law. The purpose of the Mosaic Law is to help the biological descendants of Abraham live in such a way that they experience the fullness of being in a covenant relationship with God. Obeying the law did not get you a relationship with God. This covenant got you a relationship with God. But once you were in that relationship with God, the law explained, here's how to live in such a way that you get the fullness of the benefits of being loved by God. So God, for Abraham and his biological descendants, takes this thing which we call love and he makes it tangible by vowing to bless Abraham. He makes it visible by giving him a sign of their relationship in circumcision and he makes it practical by giving very specific instructions, act this way, and you will experience more of the fullness of the blessing of being loved by God. Now hopefully at this point you're thinking, great, good for Abraham. What does that have to do with us today? Well, I'd like to talk about not simply God's love for Abraham. We're using that as a launching point to talk about how God expresses his love to you and to me in tangible, visible, and practical ways. So let me invite you to turn forward to the book of Galatians chapter three. Galatians chapter three. It's page 944. Galatians chapter three, page 944. As you're turning pages in your Bible, you are turning through centuries of disobedience on the part of Abraham's biological descendants. The Jewish people are the physical descendants of Abraham, and although God is in a covenant relationship with them, they continually break that covenant. They continually do things to displease God, so much so that at one point God actually uses the language of divorce 
in relationship to his connection to the 10 tribes in the north of Israel. He divorces them, again using marriage as an analogy. But what we come to find out in the New Testament is that Israel's disobedience, rather than catching God by surprise, was actually an opportunity for God to take what he always intended to do in Genesis 17 and make his love available not just to Abraham and his biological descendants, but to all people. That God loves every single person who's ever lived and ever will live. Every single person on the planet today. And God's intention, even back in Genesis, was to find a way to express his love in tangible, visible, practical ways to every single person. And Galatians 3 explains how he did that. Start with me in verse 7. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles. So Gentiles are non-Jewish people, people who are not physically, biologically related to Abraham, the vast majority of us here today, Gentiles. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Paul is saying, look, God's intention from the very beginning was not to bless just Abraham and the Jewish people, and then all of a sudden when that went poorly, he switched to plan B. The intention from the very beginning was to use Abraham to bless all people on earth. That's always been God's goal. He loves every single person and he has purposed to bless every single living human being on the planet. How's he going to do that? Verse 14. He, God redeemed, which means he rescued, saved uh, us, in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, might come to you and I. How? Through Christ Jesus. So that by faith, we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Now there's some deep theology that's gonna come next. I'm gonna just explain it to you. My encouragement is for you to go back when you have time and read all of Galatians 3 on your own. But what he's doing in Galatians 3 is explaining how God made it possible for you and I who are not the biological descendants of Abraham to experience the blessings given to Abraham so that the covenant God made with Abraham, the promise he made to Abraham, we might be beneficiaries of that covenant. This is what he says. First of all, God caused his son to be incarnated as a Jew. Jesus is Jewish. He was born Jewish, which means he was born 
as a biological descendant of Abraham. This same Jesus was also circumcised as a sign that he was a participant in this covenant we've been talking about from Genesis 17. This same Jesus, who while being the very son of God, was also born to a Jewish mother named Mary, this same Jesus lived his life on the earth in total and complete obedience to the Mosaic law so that the fullness of the blessings of being in a relationship with God was won by Jesus who did everything that the law demanded and followed far, far more. God did all of this, verses 26 to 29 of Galatians 3. He did this so that in Christ Jesus, you and I can be children of God through faith. For all of us who were baptized into Christ have clothed ourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And look at verse 29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to to the promise. It works like this. When Lisa and I got married, we became, in God's eyes, one flesh. Which means that any blessings that came to me, she also is the recipient of. After we got married, when my parents wanted to give me a car, they gave a car to us because we were a couple. After we got married, when her parents wanted to help us with some remodeling costs for our house, those blessings came not just to her, but to both of us because we are connected together. What Galatians 3 is saying is when any human being, when any person, regardless of whether they're a Jew or a Gentile, a male or a female, a slave or a free person, when any person chooses to accept Jesus' proposal of love. When we say I do to Jesus, we become one with a person who is a biological descendant of Abraham who is circumcised, who has lived in complete and total obedience to the law. And when you become one with that person, all the blessings that were promised to Abraham now come to us because we're connected to Jesus. This is why we say the benediction from Genesis 12 every Sunday. This is for us through Jesus. We're married to Jesus, so all those blessings, those are ours. Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17. God's absolute oath to bless, to do good, to pour out his goodness on us. Those are now ours because we're married to Jesus. And any person who is willing to accept Jesus' marriage proposal, any person who is willing to be connected to Jesus, 
receives those blessings. So how does God make his love tangible to the whole world? The same way he did for Abraham. It's the same covenant. It's the same promise. God has sworn an oath to bless. How does God show his love? He blesses. How does God, how do we know God loves people? Because he blesses. He runs after you to give you goodness. He chases after you to pour out on you joy and peace and love and fulfillment. How does God do this? Through this covenant. But it's no longer just for the biological descendants of Abraham. It's for anybody who is connected to Jesus. God makes his love tangible to you and I by vowing to bless us. Not just today, not just tomorrow, forever and ever and ever. So much blessing that even death itself cannot stop God from blessing us. He simply promises to raise us from the dead and to continue to bless us forever. Can you imagine? You've experienced some of the blessings of God just simply in food to eat and sometimes beautiful sunshiny days and just joy and laughter. That is a taste of the blessing of God. Nothing makes him happier than to do that. Imagine that he has now vowed to do those kinds of things for us forever and ever and ever. That is how his love is made tangible. Now we also get a sign, a visible manifestation of his love for us. It's in the passage that I read to you. It's not circumcision. It's baptism. Because the reason we get these blessings is not our biological connection to Abraham, the sign of our covenant is not circumcision. We get these benefits because we are wedded to Jesus. We are connected to Jesus. And so God gives to us a ceremony that represents that, which is baptism. When you get baptized in water, it's like a wedding ring. It doesn't do anything in the sense of you still sin after you get baptized. But what it is is a visible reminder, I'm in a relationship with Jesus. I'm married to Jesus. I have made my commitment to Jesus and he's made his commitment to me and it's a sign of that. God also gives to us a way in which we can experience the fullness of the blessings of being loved by God. And because of what Jesus did for us, it's actually better than where Abraham was. We still got all the same rules that we can look at, but we're not bound by those. What God's given to us, which is far, far better, is he's given us his spirit. That God's spirit comes to live in us, meaning God himself living in us, leading us and guiding us to blessing. This is what the spirit does. The spirit comes and shows us where to go, 
Where to work, how to act, how to engage, how to think about things, how to confess our sins. The Spirit comes to guide us in all these things to the fulfillment of blessing from God. There are lots of people who are simply Christians and they're going to end up in heaven, but they're not experiencing the fullness of being in a love relationship with God. But God gave us his spirit so that every single one of us can know exactly what will bring about the fullness of blessings. And when you and I follow the spirit's leading, then we get to experience why we're in this relationship with God. And so for us today, God makes his love for you and for me tangible by vowing to bless you. He makes it visible by giving us a ceremony to go through to help us to see that we are connected to him and he's connected to us. And he makes it practical by giving to us his spirit to guide and direct us in such a way that we live our lives in the fullness of the blessings of being loved by God. And all of this is made possible by Jesus. So what does this mean for us today? A few thoughts before we close. Lisa and I didn't just get married 24 years ago and then coast. It was a lot of work to get engaged, a lot of work to get married, and it's been a lot of work since then. The work is worth it because you see more and more the blessings of the love relationship come to fruition. If you understand nothing else from today, please understand this. God loves you so much that he has done what was necessary to bring about all these blessings in your life. You may not get, well, why Abraham and why Jewish people and why Jesus and why does that have to work? But know this, the God who created all things loves you so totally and so completely that he has now made it possible for you to experience the fullness of the blessings of his love and he went through all of this for you. He did this because he loves you. He's not doing it out of obligation. He's not doing it out of guilt. He's not doing it because enough of us got together and signed a petition and asked him to do something nice. He loves you totally and completely with everything that he is. He loves you and he has gone through unimaginable links to make it possible for you and I to experience that love. Not just some sort of idea, but to be loved by God. Second, if you're not yet a Christian, you need to understand that through all of this, God is proposing to you. He is vowing to bless you. That's the vow on the table. You cannot experience that blessing unless you say yes to the proposal. Lisa and I fell in love in 1996, but we did not get to experience the fullness of the tangibility and the visibility and the practicality of being in love until we said to one another, I do. God is making a vow to you today, and today, if in your heart, there's nothing you got to sign, there's nothing you got, in your heart, you just simply have to say back to God, 
I do. I've performed lots and lots of wedding ceremonies. This is how it works. One person vows, the other person vows, and they both say, I do. I agree to this. In Genesis 12, in Genesis 15, in Genesis 17, and just here this morning, God is making his promise to you, and his vow is, I will bless you. Today, tomorrow, and for eternity. Death itself will not keep me from blessing you. And in your heart, all you have to say is, I do. I accept. And then you're connected to Jesus. And all these blessings come through Jesus to you. Third, for those who are Christians, but may not be baptized yet, Baptism is not sort of a thing that we kind of dreamed up to do that might be a nice kind of Christian ritual. It's a sign given to us by God to help us envision this invisible love. Baptism is a ceremony that we have been asked to go through by God, like an exchange of rings, To be a Christian and not be baptized is like to be married and not wear a wedding ring. To be a Christian and not be baptized is like to go through graduation but not have a diploma. There are things that are visible signs of something that is invisible. God set it up this way. Why baptism and not something else? I don't know. But I do know that if you've not yet been baptized or you've only been baptized as a baby, There is something incredibly powerful that as a sign of your love for God and God's love for you, that you submit to this ceremony and that you publicly declare, hey, I'm with God and God's with with me. I am his and he is mine. Baptism is like a Christian wedding ceremony. It's not the source of love but it's the thing that makes love visible. And so I want to strongly encourage you. When God told Abraham, hey look, get circumcised as a sign of the covenant, Abraham obeyed and was blessed. As a Christian, Jesus is saying to you, get baptized. If you choose to obey, you'll experience more of the fullness of the blessings of being loved by God. And then finally, for those of you who may be Christians who are just sort of living mediocre, complacent, non-blessing-filled lives, here is the offer of God to you. If you would like to experience more of the blessings of being loved by God in your life, all you have to do is ask God to show you by his spirit what it is he wants you to do so that you can experience more of the fullness of the blessing of God. Being loved by God, this is it. This is the thing. This is where all the positives you've ever experienced, every good gift 
you've ever experienced has come to you from God's love. Every experience of joy, every experience of peace, every experience of patience has come to you from God. If you would like to experience more blessings, that's why God gave you his spirit. And if you and I stop telling the spirit what we want to have happen and instead let the spirit take us where he wants to take us, where he is taking you is into blessing. He is not taking you into harm. He is not taking you into difficulty, but through the difficulty to bring you blessing. God gives us his spirit because he wants us to know more and more and more of what it means to be loved by God. And if you're here today and you're like, hey, look, I have a relationship with God, but I I would like to feel it more often. I would like to experience it more fully. I would like to stop fighting with God all of the time. I would like to see God's power in my life. What you're asking for is more of the spirit. And you simply ask God, fill me with your spirit. Help me to know when it's him talking to me and versus when it's somebody else. Give me your spirit, Lord, and give me the courage to obey him. And then let him lead you into blessing. God loves every single one of us. He's made his love tangible, visible, and practical. This is the thing, to be loved by God and to love God in return. Let's pray. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.